in our series on the book or the letter of Ephesians. And I just love um, Ephesians. I've got to say it's one of my absolute favourite letters that Paul writes. And I think it's probably because it has to do with it being a really encouraging letter, it's very uplifting and positive, and it speaks to our identity, who we actually are. And we've been talking a little bit about how we go through things like an identity crisis, and today what we want to do is kind of continue to look at some of this in greater detail as Paul discusses and continues his conversation in the letter to the church at Ephesus. Um, there is a saying that change is as good as a holiday. I've just been on a holiday. Uh, Graham Folling said to me just earlier, you can tell when Dave Ang's been on holiday because he usually returns with a bit of facial hair. Fair enough, that's a tell. I'll, I'll make note of that for next holiday. Um, but we were up at the Sunshine Coast, a really lovely time away as a family. And doing, going on holiday as you will know, um, you'll often do different things, things that you don't normally do. You get out of your routine, you get out of your regular rhythms that are part of your usual week, and there's a good thing that happens in terms of having that holiday, having that break from the normal things that we do. Um, As a family, we did lots of different things we don't normally do, one of which was a high ropes course. You'll see some photos here of my family Uh, They were strapped into their harnesses, they did a a bit of a high ropes course, which was really, really exciting. Now, you look at those photos, your first question might be, where are you, Dave, in that photo? Uh, Disclaimer, I have a fear of heights. And so when Cherie was, uh, my wife Cherie was uh, buying the tickets, I said, just hold off getting me one, I'm just going to get there, have a look at things, then maybe I'll check in, but anyway. So that's my disclaimer for me. But here's my family, 12 or so metres above the ground, strapped into this harness that can hold the weight of a car, one single harness, taking on all these different obstacles and challenges as a part of this high ropes course. And the course starts out fairly simply to get you adjusted and used to feeling confident on the high ropes. But then you get to this point where there is a zip line, this single cable that runs from one side of the river across to the other side of the river. Now, my wife, Cherie, she took on the zip line first to show the kids this is what it looks like, you are going to be safe, and she made it successfully across to the other side, which was really great. And then it came time for my daughter, Mesa, to take on the zip line. And at first, she just did not want to do this at all. That first step kind of involved letting go of what you were holding onto and letting the weight of the harness just hold you as you dangled your legs in thin air off the ground. And that was kind of the first step. And she stood on the side of the tower, and you could kind of see she's evaluating the whole situation as a little eight-year-old girl would do. She's going, this is a little bit daunting for me right now. She could tell that mum had made it to the other side safely, um, but she was not quite sure that she was able to do this. And then the high ropes instructor came along and, and calmly spoke her through the process and what was going to happen. And he actually held the zip line for her and let her get a feel as she uh, let go of what it would be like to kind of dangle and hang there. And I am very proud to say uh, that this was the result. She's still going. 
look at that. How is that, hey? One proud dad right here, yeah. She did so, so well. I was so proud of her. Uh, for Mesa, doing this course was something that was really, really different. It was something that was new, but that zipline, that was a whole nother level of new for her. She felt uncomfortable about doing this at first. She didn't know whether she was going to be safe or whether she could actually trust the cable and the line to be able to hold her and take her. But once she kind of knew in her mind that she was okay, she took on this change. She embraced this change from having her feet kind of planted on the solid ground to letting herself dangle and then do that zip from one side to the other. In our lives, we like comfort, don't we? We like routine, we like structure and schedule and the things that are familiar to us. We are creatures of habit in many ways. We get used to our surroundings and our ways of doing things and the results that come from them. And in fact, we get so used to these ways that sometimes when something changes, we think this is a disruption that is actually a problem. This is something that's wrong and we can go into survival mode and we can step away from that thing that's different and not embrace it. We can actually revert to the same old way that we've always done things. And change, I want to acknowledge, can be hard. Change can be really, really hard. We know this individually in our lives as well. Hey, I wasn't able to embrace the change of, of taking on the high ropes course myself. Now, while doing things might not necessarily be a bad thing, whether it's at our workplaces or in our relationships or the th things that we just do every day in our lives and in our surroundings, Often our approach can be, when change comes along, to resist change, to push away from it, to maybe even fear that change in our lives and not embrace it. And what we're going to look at this morning is a bit closer look at what Paul says about those who have changed and those, particularly what he says, those people who are in Christ and what that means for us and the way that we should live our lives. And as we're kind of working through the passage this morning, I want you to kind of hold this question in mind, and that is, where do I find myself at? What stage am I at as, as we're talking about these different stages, these processes? Um, our passage is from Ephesians 2, as we've already said, it's verses 1 through to 10. Let's read it together now. Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, Paul speaking, he says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace... Oh, sorry, no, I've missed it. Yeah, made us alive together. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, 
And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Uh, This passage, these 10 verses are so rich and dense that I honestly think you could probably do 10 individual sermons on each of the verses, Uh, but we don't have the time to do that and today what we're going to do is just kind of go over and look at some of the main themes that Paul addresses here and what they mean for us and I want to encourage you as always, continue to dig deeper into these passages in your own time uh, with others, Um, go deeper in those discussions, our life groups are always a great way where you can get alongside others in our community and go deeper in the passages that we are looking at here together on a Sunday. But this passage here is one of the clearest, it's, it's one of the most expressive and to be honest, it's, it's one of the most loved descriptions of salvation in all of the New Testament, what it means to be saved and in Christ. And Paul here, he lists out these different contrasting positions. He says, you were position A, but now you're position B. Just like a a newborn infant uh, becomes a toddler who then, you know, walks and then becomes a young child and a teenager and then an adult. Paul lists these different stages in relation to this position. And we're going to look at four G's this morning, okay? I know we live in a world of 5G connection, but we're going backwards. We're going to look at four G's this morning. And they are grave, grace, glow and go. Let's look at the first one, G, grave. When it comes to dying, the statistics speak for themselves. One in one people will die one day. That means that every single one of us here in this building, if you're watching online, this is the reality for us. It's a guarantee. The saying goes that apart from taxes, the other thing that's certain in life is death. And this chapter here starts out with these words, and you were dead. Notice Paul here speaks in this past tense, he says, you were dead, not you are dead. And so he's addressing, it's clear he's addressing the believers here at the church uh, in, in Ephesus. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and your sins in which you once walked, again past tense. Now starting a letter like this is a pretty big shock. You know, if you wrote a letter to someone and said, hey, how you going, da 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 da, you are dead. That's a pretty big shock, right? It should grab our attention right here um, that, that this is a big thing. Paul doesn't say you were tied up, you were incapacitated, you were in need of a little bit more assistance or a little bit more education. He doesn't even say you were unconscious. He says that you were dead. Eric Thoner's who's a department chair of theology at Biola University in California, says the following. He says, what's the biggest problem we humans face? Depending on whom you ask, you'll get many different answers. Racism, poverty, or gender inequality will all get mentioned as the core human dilemma, along with many other suggestions. But there is no question what Paul thinks our biggest problem is. We were born spiritually dead, without hope, and unable to resuscitate ourselves. This is our nature. We were all born spiritually dead. I think we can all agree that if something is dead, it has absolutely zero 
capacity or ability to function. Can't hear, can't respond, can't talk, can't move. Why? Because you are dead. That's that. And Paul here says, you were dead in the trespasses and the sins in which you once walked. Uh, years ago, I was in a, in a ba- uh, band as a young adult, and we were, wanted to do this photo shoot, and we were down at uh, New Farm Park, and, or not New Farm Park, we were down in New Farm, and one of the locations for our sh- photo shoot that we thought would be really interesting to do, take some shots in, was this old abandoned house. Uh, it was no longer being lived in, it was probably squatters living in there, it was a lot of mess. Um, but as a result of that, there were these really big fences that were set up on the roadside um, that clearly said, do not come in here, do not enter this property. Now, do you think that young creatives were going to listen to that? No, we didn't. We thought, this is a great opportunity, let's dive on in, um, get some great photos. And so we entered in, or should I say, over those large fences, took our photos, and now from memory, the photos that we took actually weren't even that great. Um, But I, I will say that we also did have someone on lookout on watch the whole time we were taking the photo shoot. And I will also say, kids, because I know you are in here, don't try that at home, okay? That's not a good thing to do. Um, To trespass is to cross the line, to go where you're not allowed to go. We weren't meant to be in that house, but we crossed that line. We went inside. And this is all of us. This is you and I. As a result of us being born into sin, we have all done this. We've all trespassed. We've sinned against God. We've followed our own ways. We've been disobedient. We've satisfied our own pleasures and passions and cravings and lusts and desires. Romans 3.23 says that all of us have sinned and we've all fallen short. To fall short is to to miss the mark. If you are uh, doing some archery and you hit a bullseye nine times and then on that tenth time you miss, you've still missed the mark. You've fallen short of the standard, the baseline, the level that is required, that expectation right there. And this is what Paul's saying is what we are like. The result of sin is death, and sin both causes death and is the evidence of our death. And the main problem, or one of the problems, I think, for us in understanding this passage properly is is actually taking this side of what Paul is saying seriously, because for the most part, we probably don't actually believe that the picture of ourselves as being dead is as bad as Paul is talking about. I mean, is the life that we carefully curate and look after and plan out and live out, is it actually really that meaningless without God in the picture? But at the same time, we also need to be really careful not to overreact to this text and see an outlook for all of humanity that is bleak and depressing and devoid of life. That is not the picture at all. We know that when God created His creation, He said that it was good. But this is where we find ourselves. We were lifeless, we were unresponsive, we were dead, we were in the grave. But God, this was our position, and then Paul says these two words that change absolutely everything. But 
God. Verse 4 and 5, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love in which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And then in verse 8 and 9, He also says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that way no one may boast about it. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that these two words, but God, they contain the entire gospel message within them, the good news of God for us. Now, before we speak about grace, let's look at these words that Paul uses to describe God here. He says that God is rich in mercy and that He has great love. You see, God isn't like us. He isn't part merciful, part vengeful. His very character is that of mercy. He isn't not able to be full of mercy. This is who God is. And Paul, many times in his letters, says, I am undeserving of this. I've been the one who's been persecuting and killing other Christians. I do not deserve this mercy, but God had mercy on me. He also says that God is loving. He loves us with this agape love, this unconditional unbound love for you and I that has no restrictions placed on it whatsoever. It is an undeserving love. It is a unreserved, unrestrictive, unlimited, wholehearted love that is thrown onto us. And it is so good that it seems almost too good for, to be true for us. Um, the problem, I think, can be for us is that we can take that love for granted from God and not do anything about it. Either that, or we can do the opposite. We can reject His love because we believe that how could God love someone as sinful or unworthy or insignificant as myself? The reality is that it is only by His grace that we are saved. This is what Paul is saying to us here. It's only by His unlimited, unmerited, unreserved free gift that is given to us by God that we are saved. God's grace has turned this around, the fact that we are in the grave. Now, before we move on to the next G, a quick note on faith, because Paul says in verse 8, you are saved by grace through faith. The Greek word for faith is pistis. Can everyone say that with me? Say pistis. Pistis, a funny word, right? This word is not just limited to what we believe in our minds, a cerebral, a mental way of thinking. This Greek word can mean faith, faithfulness, reliability, promise, pledge, proof, trust, and confidence. That's a pretty uh, expansive description of, of this word that Paul uses here. And so, when he says, you're saved by grace through faith, what he is saying is that as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, you are saved by God's grace, not by the faith that you place in Him. Your belief in God as reliable and as, a trust, as trustworthy, that isn't actually what saves you. Paul says this isn't your own doing, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast about what they've done. So, we're only saved by His grace. When it comes to faith, faith is the only means by which the grace that God has given us can be received. 
I hope that makes sense to us. So if you don't have faith that God is trustworthy, if you don't trust in Him and, and believe that He is who He says He is, then you aren't able to receive fully that saving grace into your life. Uh, I remember a time in my life um, as a young adult that I would say that I believed in God and that He was trustworthy, but my actions would, would show otherwise. I would say in my head, I was like, yeah, I trust in you, God. But I made poor lifestyle decisions. I lived for the approval of other people. I sought after a, a satisfaction that, that gratified myself first. Um, and those decisions just really did show quite clearly that I put my trust more in my own way of living than God's way of living. So even though in my head I said, yes, I have faith, relationally I didn't believe in God's reliability. And I think there's a fine line here we have to be careful with when we're talking about grace and faith, so that we don't try to trick ourselves into thinking that, well, oh, well, if I act a certain way, then I mustn't have saving faith. That is not what I'm saying here. Uh, for some of us as Christians, you will have had, or you will have, a but God moment in your own life, this significant moment where you can't reason your way out of the reality of who God is, that He is real and that He completely loves you. Um, I've, I've had one of these moments, my but God moment came one day, just a normal everyday day at a previous job. Um, I was working alone at the particular time and I was just reflecting on Scripture and in this moment, uh, just alone by myself, I just had this awakening of the presence of God in my life. It's really hard to describe. I just had this awakening, this thing that happened, this heightened sense of just knowing Him, but not just knowing Him, knowing His great love over me. I knew personally who He was. His grace just, just came in and invaded my life at, a, at another level, and it was one of those moments where you kind of can see everything kind of comes full circle. All of your past with your, your, your junk and your failures and your disappointments and your disobedience all comes to a head and I just knew in that moment that He just completely loved me. And after that moment for me, I wasn't the same person. Things began to change in my own life. My focus, for starters, completely changed. One of the big things that happened to, for me had to do with selfishness. I would say that I was a very selfish person. I lived a life that showed others that I put myself first um, up to this point. But it was almost overnight that this focus and, and then gradually the actions changed. And I can clearly and confidently say that would never happen on its own with the way that I was living my own life. It was only because of what Jesus had done in showing His grace for me that I was transformed. Now, it's also worth mentioning here that not everyone will experience this big, transformatic, dramatic conversion, this big but God moment. Um, we shouldn't expect to have this clearly defined moment that comes, it, it can come, for some of us. Some people who grow up in godly families might not actually even be able to identify the exact time that they were changed. Um, but this does happen for some people. And this is what has happened for us when Paul says in verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with Him 
and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ. Those words, in Christ, are used 85 times by Paul in his writings, and here in this letter he uses it 10 times, in Christ. And this is significant because there is a change that takes place when we are in Christ. We are not the same people when we are in Christ. When you are in Christ, your identity is no longer individual. You are in Christ. You are no longer a sole trader. You are a member of His body. You belong to Him. And it means we've been made alive. So, what is it about this identity that we should know? I've got three things to look at really quickly here. Number one, you've experienced resurrection. Because Jesus was resurrected from the dead, in being made alive, we too also experience resurrection. Our living death gets turned into true life. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. You see, Christ's death and His resurrection are events that are reproduced in our lives. We die to the old world and the power of sin and the power of self, and we rise to life in the Spirit. And life is relational, and when we are made alive in Christ, our primary relation becomes that with Jesus Christ. That's who we relate to primarily. Number two, we've been made new. We experience new life as believers. We are not the same anymore. We have been changed. There's something that is different. And number three, we've been raised up with Christ. See, when we become part of God's family, we come under His rule and under His reign and His authority, but that's not an oppressive thing. We actually get raised up. We get lifted up with Him with Jesus to enjoy privilege and His honour and security and hope that lies in Him. And as a part of His family, for you and I, we have access to His riches, not just now, it says in this passage, but also in the coming ages, God will show the immeasurable riches of His grace. We might think that we know God's grace in our lives right now, and we do, to a degree. But Paul here is saying, and I get excited about this, because Paul is saying that for all of eternity, God is going to continue to reveal and unfold His grace to you and I. That's a pretty amazing thought to know that His goodness will just continue to be unfolded, not just for a short time, but for all of eternity. It actually blows my mind when I really just stop and think about it. You've been made alive in Christ. And so, what do we do? You glow. I had to find another word. I could have said, and I had to find another word that started with G. I could have, I could have said alive, but I like the word glow, and I'm going to explain it to you in a moment. To glow is to actually radiate or shimmer or glimmer, and because our identity has changed, our lives should change too. Uh, when we were on holidays, we were down at Perigian Beach, <coughs> excuse me, for dinner, and it was getting dark, the park was full um, of other families uh, on school holidays, also having dinner, and I noticed this one family had this really great life hack that I had never seen before. I, I might have been living under a rock, but I'd never seen this before until last week, and I, and I highly recommend you try this next time you're out at night and you need some light. And this family, they'd ordered fish and chips, and they had a bottle of soft drink as well, and they'd order it from the local takeaway, and what they did was they had their phone, 
and they turned on their phone light and placed it so the light was point, uh, shining face up on the table. And then they got the soft drink bottle and they put the soft drink bottle on top of the phone light and it created this lamp. It lit up the table and they were able to see what they were eating uh, with light on the subject. Here's what it looks like. It's that kind of image. It's a pretty neat little hack, right? But it was only when the bottle was actually full that it made its greatest impact. The light glowed the strongest. When the bottle was unopened and it was full to the top, that's when it happened. But once they started to drink the contents, the light shone less brightly. And you can see that top half of that image. There's no uh, liquid there. It's not shining as brightly as the bottom half of the bottle. I think this is a pretty good image of our own lives. If we're the bottle and the light is God and we're attached to that and the contents of the bottle represents the fullness of, of how we live, sometimes we can live half full or half empty, whichever way you look at it, lives. So we have the light that's actually made us alive inside but we don't necessarily embrace that change that's been made in our lives, and so we don't glow as we should. We don't glow as fully or as brightly as we should. We know we've been saved, but we still default to our old ways and our old selves, and the, the bottle gets a little bit more empty. We drop back into old habits, the bottle gets a little bit more empty. We believe that lie that we aren't that good, the bottle gets a bit more empty. We face a problem or a challenge in our lives and we're like, God, I'm trusting you in this, uh, but things don't turn out the way that you expect or you want them to, the bottle gets a bit more empty. We don't think that we have what it takes to live fully for God and all of a sudden, the bottle's empty. It doesn't glow the way that it should and we forget that we have actually been made new. But as a part of our new selves, we are called to be people who embrace this change in our lives. We are called to be people who glow, so that way we can go. Verse 10, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Another word here for workmanship is masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. And when you think of Leonardo da Vinci's masterpiece, most of us will probably think of the Mona Lisa. This is this phenomenal creation, a one-of-a-kind thing. And this is what Paul is saying that we are like. That's us. Uh, the great artist Michelangelo, he famously said this about one of his sculptures. He said, I saw the angel in the marble and I carved until I set him free. Now, you are God's phenomenal creation. And for Christians, we've been carved away at and chipped away at until we have been set free. But it doesn't end there. Yes, we are free, but we are created in Christ for good works. God, by His grace, has saved us so that way we might live lives in keeping what God has intended for His humanity. 
to live life from a different place, from a new place, not from this individual identity, but from one that is in Christ Himself. And this means we need to be mindful of the reality that we are new creations. We need to remember that we live in union with Jesus, that we partner alongside Him to bring restoration and fullness and flourishing to our world. This is our calling to go. And our ability to go is tied directly to what we've just looked at in this passage, our understanding of who God is and the good news of His grace in our lives that has transformed us. What if the people in our communities experience Christians as people who are joined to the loving giver? What if those people saw grace extended from people who themselves had experienced grace? What if they saw evidence of the movement from disobedience to obedience and from death to life? What if those people saw a faith in you that they thought was worth having? I want to invite the worship team to come up as we close. We were headed to the grave, but God's grace turn this around, we're made alive and so we now glow and so we can confidently go. There's our four Gs. And we talk a lot about making change in our lives, but would we be people who embrace the change that we have experienced in our lives so that we can confidently and boldly live? Live not for ourselves, but live for Christ. Live lives lives that God, our Creator, has prepared for you and I that we should walk in them. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we are creatures of habit. We don't always embrace change in our lives. But this morning, we want to say thank you. We want to say thank you for your grace. This undeserved gift of Jesus, who came to earth, who lived that life that none of us could measure up to, a life that hasn't fallen short of your glory. And then willingly, undeservedly, went to the cross and died and was rose again so that way we too might have new life in and through you. Oh God, will we know the depths of your grace in our lives? Would you show us the reality of who you are? Because Lord, the reality is that when we've received that grace through our faith in you, We've gone from death to life. We have been made new. We have been made alive. And so, God, I pray for those of us this morning who might be feeling maybe even in in their Christian walk, well, I don't really feel very alive at the moment in my faith. I've I've done maybe things in the past or I I haven't lived fully. I haven't lived up to what you've you've called me to, Lord. and, And I just don't even know where to start, Lord. I just pray that that grace would sink deep your love would sink deep in our lives, that we would know that we are fully loved. And Lord, I pray out of that would come 
a fresh awakening for us, God. So that way we might be people who can go confidently, knowing that you are the one who is with us in all situations, guiding us in our lives. Would we be people who embrace the change that we've been made new from death to life? In Jesus' name, amen.